We move fast and fix things here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers at linode.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean, the simplest cloud platform out there. And we're excited to share they now offer dedicated virtual droplets. And unlike standard droplets, which use shared virtual CPU threads, their two performance plans, general purpose and CPU optimized, they have dedicated virtual CPU threads. This translates to higher performance and increased consistency during CPU intensive processes. So if you have build boxes, CI, CD, video encoding, machine learning, ad serving, game servers, databases, batch processing, data mining, application servers, or active front-end web servers that need to be full-duty CPU all day, every day, then check out DigitalOcean's dedicated virtual CPU droplets. Pricing is very competitive, starting at 40 bucks a month. Learn more and get started for free with a $100 credit at do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. Welcome to Practical AI, a weekly podcast about making artificial intelligence practical, productive, and accessible to everyone. This is where conversations around AI, machine learning, and data science happen. Join the community and Slack with us around various topics of the show at changelaw.com slash community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Practical AI FM. And now onto the show. Welcome to another episode of Practical AI. This is Daniel Whitenack. I'm a data scientist with SIL International, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Chris Benson, who is a principal AI strategist at Lockheed Martin. How are you doing, Chris? Doing well today. How's it going, Daniel? It's going pretty good. I've got, uh, you know, models training and messy data to work with. So as good as any day could be, I guess. What more could you ask for? <laughs> what, what more could you ask for? I guess in certain scenarios, you might ask for interesting models, which is what we've got to talk about today. Um, on previous episodes, I know we've mentioned GANs a few times, and we've talked about some of the specifics, but not a whole show devoted to them. And so we thought we'd dig into this topic a little bit more. And one of the ways that we thought we could do that was to get some experts, and that's what we've done. So we've, we've brought in uh, Jacob Lunger and Vlad Bach, who are the authors of the book GANs in Action. And they're going to help us parse through all, of, all things GANs. So uh, welcome, Jacob and Vlad. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. So before we begin and jump into GANs specifically, let's jump into each of your backgrounds and hear about how you ended up where you're at. So maybe, uh, Jacob, could you start things out? Sure. So I was sort of working in machine learning since about 2013. Obviously, back then, GANs weren't a thing, but uh, I sort of fell in love with the field. And I was sort of firstly curious about all the latest and greatest things that going on in research and as I was sort of following conferences and like the researchers that I really respect and admire, I uh, came across this thing called, you know, Generative Adversarial Network sometime in 2015, I believe. So that was quite soon after the original paper by Ian Goodfellow came out. And I just sort of fell in love with the technology and the whole idea that I'm sure we'll get into later just kind of really made sense to me. So I was, from that point on, really curious, but only sort of, you know, as a part-time hobby. And then over time, things sort of started picking up. So I started writing more blogs, 
blog posts about it and then eventually you know Manning approached me with a book offer so I think that was uh, where it really started to take a more coherent form and I started dedicating more and more time to it to now where it's taken over all of my life you know now I'm working full-time and <laughs> with Jans and uh, uh, you know doing these types of out, you know communication and outreach type of thing which I think you know is just a testament to how far Gans as a field have gone so it's kind of ramped up a little slowly but uh, you know now it's kind of really you know took over every aspect which is great because I think I really got to see the field from its inception which is you know something you see every day yeah it's been a pretty quick Right, I guess. So you're saying like 2015 was around the time that, you know, Ian Goodfellow came out with with a paper and and that stuff kind of started getting momentum. Is that right? Yeah. So I think the original paper was presented at then NIP 2014. And uh, I think, you know, then you saw like a slow trickle of papers, which kind of uh, eventually turned into like an avalanche by like 2016, 2017. So Vlad, I was wondering if you could give us a little intro about yourself as well. Yeah, totally. I studied computer science, so machine learning was always one of my interests, both personal and professionally. And after college, after a brief stint at a Vicomunicator startup, I worked as a data scientist, I joined Microsoft. And Microsoft has an arm called Microsoft Research, which is essentially it's like an R&D division. It's effectively the Bell Labs of our time. And then I got involved with a research project where we used GANs uh, along with my team. And it was just fascinating to see the margin by which um, data generative tasks, this technique has exceeded uh, everything else that used to be the state of art. So it was truly this like stepwise improvement that is rarely seen in, or it used to be rarely seen in machine learning. And from there, I, I stayed involved with the field. And now are you working, you know, uh, in a practical sense, day-to-day with this technology? A little bit here and there, although I must say that when it comes to practical applications of most vast majority of machine learning and deep learning techniques, it's still very much in the supervised machine learning area and less on on generative tasks. So when it comes to my day-to-day job, then GANs are almost no involvement. Gotcha, yeah. And maybe we can get into some of those practicalities a little bit later, but to kick things off into GAN world, and I'll let you guys choose who wants to take on certain questions, but maybe one of you could just give us a brief, like, what makes a GAN a GAN? How is it different than what we might think of when we think of a quote-unquote normal neural network or a you know normal machine learning model, whatever that is? Sure, I can give that a whirl. So um, I think the two areas that I would highlight is that, first of all, from like a very high level, GANs generally live in the unsupervised world, which Vlad alluded to already, that there's a distinction between supervised and unsupervised. So most GANs exist in a world where you don't actually need any training labels, which is where the supervision comes in. Rather, the most generative models learn from the data itself. So all it needs is just raw data and it manages to reconstruct it. Um, so, you know, it's like prototypical example being human faces and just by feeding GAN a whole bunch of human faces, it will eventually learn to reconstruct completely novel faces that are not in the original training set. So that's, I think, idea number one is that it's unsupervised. And then idea number two is, so 
the model itself effectively uses most of the time two neural networks that compete against each other, one being called the generator, one being called the discriminator, and the generator is almost like an amateur painter or something like that. So it tries to basically take some inspiration, generate a new image, and then the discriminator is like an art critic who says, no, this is a good picture or this is not a good picture. And through the back and forth process, they both get better over time at generating and then telling apart real from fake. So at the end, you can have a generator that's pretty good at producing realistic images. So that's kind of like the high-level summary. Anything to add, Vlad? Yeah, totally. I think it's a, it's a great intuitive description. I would just add some of the technical details in which GANs differ from traditional neural networks. And a core of it is the training procedure, where a traditional neural network is effectively an optimization. You have a very complex uh, loss space in which you are trying to minimize some, some loss function, which is the objective. So essentially there is a, some measure of an error or how far the neural network is from its objective. And then the training procedure just uses calculus to minimize that objective. With GANs, since there are two neural networks, it's the, the training process can be better described as a game rather than an optimization which has far-reaching implications on the training process itself and the outcome of the network. So, yeah, in this game, and maybe this is related to Jacob's discussion of being unsupervised as well, is the idea that like you have these uh, let's take the the faces example so you have real faces or real pictures of faces and essentially those are kind of labeled in the sense that those are real faces and then anything that comes out of a generator model trying to generate real faces or trying to generate realistic faces those are kind of automatically labeled as fake so there's kind of uh, this fact that you know, everything you pump in is... Absolutely. So it's, this is actually, there is an active debate among researchers in classifying GANs, because when it comes to the training process, then exactly as they can be seen as a supervised machine learning, because...